0: I'm Kelly Evans, host of CNBC's The Exchange, which is now a podcast. Subscribe today. It's your one-stop shop for the day's top business stories. Plus, listen in for lots of original reporting, in-depth conversation, and some of the best of CNBC's award-winning investigative work. Subscribe to The Exchange for free, and you can always catch The Exchange live weekdays at 1 p.m. Eastern only on CNBC. See you then.
1: My mission is simple. To make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a market market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to America. Other people want to make friends? I'm just trying to save you some money. My job is not just to entertain you, but to educate and teach you. So call me at 1-800-743-CBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. You know what? Not everything is a doggone buying opportunity. When the whole market breaks down, like today, where the Dow plummeted 363 points, the S&P plunged 1.09 percent, Nasdaq tumbled 0.86 percent, or even when a single sector comes under serious pressure, like we're seeing with healthcare, I got an idea for you. You need to pause and patiently assess the situation before you just pull the trigger on the buy, buy, buy side. Buy 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 buy. buy. Yet, I don't hear people counseling patients. Instead, I hear them saying, this is our chance. Come on, let's put money to work. Ka-ching, ka-ching, So let's think about this logically. Given that the market has already soared so much, including another 6% gain since the beginning of January, given that we were approaching levels that are starting to seem a little, let's say, parabolic, is it really safe to say, yep, we're down enough. Let's put it all to work. I think that attitude reflects a level of hubris that you typically find only in the insane and the soon-to-be impoverished. Don't get me wrong. This market's been fabulous for the bulls. And I understand completely that many of you have been waiting for exactly this kind of pullback to do some buying. Perfect. I'm not against a market that should be bought that's down big. that's That's never been something I've been trying to stop. But I'm asking you this. If you think it's down enough, I just don't want you to buy all at once. That's the arrogance. Instead, I think you buy gradually on the way down in stages. You can start tomorrow. I don't mind. If the president speaks, hey, it's all right. I want you to think of it like a pyramid. That's right. Pyramid buy is what we call it. Your first buy is your smallest buy. And you put more money to work as prices go down. If you're investing for the long term, you can get started right here. We're down. Nice break. But if you're trying to get the best prices for what may be a shorter term investment or even a medium term, let me crib some priceless advice. In the immortal words of those seminal traders, the SOS band, take your time, do it right. Who knew? Who knew when I saw them at the garden 36 years ago that they had such market discipline and timing? Now, how about this breakdown in the healthcare sector? Ground zero of today's selling. Buying opportunity? What can I say? How about it's a little more complicated than that. First, many healthcare companies have been living in fear of Amazon's Jeff Bezos for ages. Anytime we get even a whiff of a story that Amazon's going to start competing on drugs and healthcare and cutting into the industry's big, fat margins, we get a huge sell off in the group. And look, there's a reason why Amazon wants in. Healthcare is a phenomenal business where every company seems to make more and more money year after year, from the insurers to the wholesalers to the drug developers and any of the myriad players in between. Bezos loves these kinds of situations. But that's the problem. Now Jeff is teaming up with two other businessmen who we can recognize just from their first names. Jamie, as in Jamie Diamond and Warren, as in Warren Buffett. They're kind of like the Wall Street version of Beyonce, Rihanna, and Adele, or Cher if you're as old as I am. Now, Jeff, Jamie, and Warren are taking on the whole healthcare system by creating a company that's, and I quote, free from profit making incentives and constraints. That's right, free from profit making incentives. It's bad enough that the most important man in finance, the most important man in retail, and the best investor alive are teaming up to tackle the problems of our healthcare system. But even worse for the industry, they're doing it for free. It is very hard to compete with someone who doesn't care about turning a profit. These guys view health care as the ultimate tax on the system. Last year, Warren Buffett came on CBC and he explained that, and I quote, health care has gone from 5% of GDP to 17% and business pays a lot of that health care cost, end quote. Of course, to be fair to the industry, medical science has gotten a heck of a lot better over that time frame. But Buffett sounded pretty angry and frustrated, especially since he didn't see anything on the horizon that might contain this raging healthcare cost inflation. Now, that's going to change. Now there is something on the horizon a company of his own creation with the most technologically savvy provider of what people want and the smartest bank of our time. Wall Street's reaction okay, the whole group got slammed, but the analysts who cover the healthcare stocks. They're not freaked out enough, frankly. Really. I mean, they liked their companies before this, and they still like them as if nothing happened. No analyst wants to say, you know what? I've been following Express Scripts and McKesson forever, and and, and you can forget about them. Key middleman in the system. And and you don't, an amorphous company with no CEO is going to destroy them. They're not going to say that. But I bet the analysts who actually covered Jeff, Jamie, and Warren's companies, Amazon, J.P. Morgan, and Berkshire Hathaway, would view this coalition with a very different awestruck attitude. I'll tell you, if these guys were coming after my business, I'd be terrified. But the analysts just wouldn't go there. Maybe they're too close to their industry. Now, I read some smart defenses of the entrenched players today. United Health, and, and they are doing great. It, it, it's fabulous. They've got their own entity, Optum, and that has really helped them take down costs. The drug wholesalers actually make their money from containing costs because they buy in bulk. Or, or, we, we've been through worse. Remember when everyone was worried about pharmaceutical price controls? Our healthcare industry has fended off a government-run single-payer system since the Truman administration. Are they really going to let some non-profit run right over them? But you know what? I, I think that's a bit of a misapprehension. The healthcare technology, healthcare industry, is frankly not that technologically savvy. And while their lobbyists can stop the federal government in its tracks, I don't think they can do that—not to Warren, Jamie, and Jeff. So what do you do with the healthcare stocks here? Well, we need some analogs. I think we need to recognize when Amazon first trains its guns on an industry, when it first takes, sees its target, and shoots. The whole group tends to get crushed. We saw this with the supermarkets when they acquired Whole Foods last summer. Let's pick the best of the best, Costco. Costco, the substantial grocery business, plummeted from 180 to 150 a month later, despite reporting fantastic numbers in the interim. But perhaps Amazon's bark is ultimately worse than its bite because since then Costco has come roaring back to 198. Now oh, maybe that could happen again here. What, what's it mean for health care? Let's, let's, let's apply the analogs. Sure, a stock like Walgreens down over 5% today. United Health more than 4%. They can rebound. But if the other companies that have been targeted by Jeff Bezos uh, got hurt, then I think it's the same thing here. I think these kinds of companies are going to have to spend a little time in the penalty box, maybe at lower levels. In other words, I'm not all that attracted to most of these. But let's say you think this whole thing is all for show. What kind of healthcare stock would be worth buying? Let's say you think they just teed them up perfectly. Well, you need a healthcare company that survived every onslaught imaginable. You need a road warrior with a stock that you want to load up on into weakness if Amazon talks about this effort on its Thursday night conference call, or the nonprofit comes up with a name, or a chief executive that you're scared about. And you need one that's cheap ideally with a good chart, so it can bounce right back, just in case this turns out to be much ado about nothing. In short, you need Centene. Yes, yeah, Centene, the remarkable Medicare and Medicaid provider that we featured many times on the show. Centene's an expert at providing its clients with high-quality care at the lowest possible cost, and yet it's been making its shareholders a fortune. Plus, remember, Mark Chaikin, the technician, he told us on last night's off the chart segment that its stock was the best, red hot. Something he reiterated to me today, and we'll talk about again tomorrow at the street.com teaching. More important, I have a hard time seeing Jamie, Jeff, and Warren going after the government financed healthcare market, which is Centine's bread and butter. That's the niche you want to be in. Still, I don't like to enter a blast zone on the first day of a sell off, especially when there's still plenty of stocks outside the blast zone that have come down. I would prefer some of the now beat up techs, particularly the gamers like Electronic Arts and the chip companies that sell into them like AMD, both of which reported strong quarters this very evening. The bottom line. I need you to remember the lesson of Costco. When Jeff Bezos goes after you, your stock's going to get hammered for weeks before it returns to good stead. So if you want healthcare exposure, I suggest waiting until the group's a little less radioactive. But if you just can't resist, if you need to pick one up this week, I'd say buy Centene. Nancy in Illinois, please. Nancy! Hi Jim, thanks for taking my call. Of course. Hey, I have a question for you. I bought uh, first solar, I'm sorry, uh, early on January
0: 23rd after the news of the uh, passage of the Trump administration's tariff was announced. Um, on, the, on imports, the stock right. later then tumbled as more information became available about you know, the tariff's the actual impact. And now I'm down about 20000 and I'm wondering if it's time to cut
1: bait. No, mix, no, no, no. I mean, what happened 80. with First Solar is a lot of smart guys got in ahead of when, of when we found out about uh, uh, the tariff situation, and then they sold it on the news. And once they sold it on the news, then you get an opportunity to be able to come back in. I don't want you to sell First Solar. I have to admit, these guys are back. And I think that to sell it here would be a mistake. I would even think if it came down another 3 4%, that you want to buy some. Let's go to John in California. John. Booyah, Jim. Happy New Year. I haven't talked to you since last year from out here in Sacramento. We Way love you too here. long, John. Way too long. Let's go to work together.
2: All right, buddy. I haven't talked to you in a while. You know, I got the U.S. concrete when you had the guy on, and I got that for the infrastructure play, but I also got – Chicago Bridge and Iron, CBI. I got some of that. What do you think of CBI? Well, first, Bill Sandbrook. How great is he
1: at U.S. Concrete? Went by his place the other day in Brooklyn. I think CBI's okay. Not my fave. I would prefer KBR. I prefer floor. I think floor's got a better business. But I got to tell you, the engineering construction business is back, John, just like you are, and I thank you for the call. Kirkpatrick in Virginia. Kirkpatrick. Jim. Huh. Kirkpatrick, are you still there? Yes, I am. All right, let's go. Let's go. JD.com at $38. No, no, I like like Alibaba, which I think goes much higher, and I like Badu, and I'm not going down the food chain with China right now. It is just not right, particularly with all these great U.S. stocks now being thrown away because the market has had a little bit of profit taking. When Amazon goes after your industry, it's gonna get hammered. If you still want exposure to healthcare, I suggest waiting until the group's a little less radioactive. But if you insist, buy Centene. Oh man, tonight, I'll be the first to admit I need help interpreting Nucor's latest quarter. Luckily, I got the man at the helm to keep us with, for our heads from being scratched. Don't miss my exclusive with the CEO. And the coffee and soda mix? Jurgen, Dr. Pepper Snapple seem to think so. I'm giving you my take on the largest soft drink deal ever. And are you already dreaming of summer days on your back deck like I am? I'm eyeing one company that could help you bank on warmer days outside. So stick with Kramer.
2: Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at cnbc.com. or give us a call at 1-800-743-CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com.
1: Earnings season can be confusing at times. Some quarters are just hard to get your head around. But the whole process becomes even more bewildering when the market's getting hammered. Consider the case of steel giant Nucor. The company reported what appears to be a very good quarter. In December, the company had guided for 55, uh, 50 to 55 cents of earnings per share. Instead, they earned buck twenty. Now, some of that, nearly half of it, frankly, was related to a benefit from the new tax law. But even when you adjust that out, Nucor delivered a 10-cent earnings beat off a 55-cent basis, and their sales also came in higher than expected, up 29% year-over-year. Year. Plus, management told us that earnings in the next quarter will be even better talking about significant optimism in their end markets and positive pricing momentum. To me, it's one of the best quarters I've seen from this terrific company in ages. Yet what happens, stock goes down 3%. So how much of that had to do with the quarter? How much of it was because new quarter stock had run up dramatically, and the whole stock market seems like it's rolling over? In other words, could this sell-off be a terrific buying opportunity? first stock that my chapel shows his big position. Let's think deeper with John Ferriola, the chairman and CEO of Nucor, to get a better sense of these results and what they mean for his company going forward. Mr. Ferriola, welcome back to Mad Money.
2: Thank you, Jim. Glad to be here.
1: John, this looks like to me a quarter that is really the highest level since the cyclical peak uh, year of 2008, and every cylinder, every cylinder is hitting spot on. Am I reading it correctly?
2: Oh, you are, Jim, and it's more than just a quarter. When you look at the full year of 2017, our earnings are the highest since the peak in 2008. And I would go on further to say that two of our steel groups, our sheet group and our engineered product groups, both set earnings records in 2017. So it was a very good year for us.
1: Okay, for the benefit of our viewers, tell, uh, uh, tell them what are the cu- who are the customers that use that kind of steel?
2: Well, in the sheet business... Uh, automotive. Uh, We've actually grew our automotive presence in 2017 by about 7% over 2016, even with automotive production decreasing by 3%. So automotive would be one example. Uh, Energy is a big business for us also. A large portion of our our business, in particular our sheet and engineered bar products, goes into energy. In 2018 we're expecting to ship about uh, 1.8 to 2 million tons into the energy fields.
1: Now, despite the fact that our country continues to allow our so-called trading partners to dump endless and huge amounts of steel here, you are actually putting up new factories. Is that because of how optimistic you are, how optimistic the customers are, or just business in general?
2: Uh, Well, it's a little bit of all, uh, all of the above. Frankly, the optimism that we see in our customers is, uh, frankly, it's the best that we've seen since about 2004. So things are looking Really good from in terms of optimism. I'm personally optimistic about 2018. We have the tax reform going for us. We have the potential of a much-needed infrastructure bill. And then we also have the potential of a much-needed and long-awaited trade action to deal with those imports that you've mentioned, those illegally traded imports, which, by the way, were up 27% in uh, 2000 and uh, captured, excuse me, captured 27% of our market in 2017
1: it would seem to me that both democrats who favor workers and republicans who favor capital would have an easy time saying enough is enough to these countries that dump their steel here what is the resistance to standing up to people who we think don't even realize we've been in a trade war with forever
2: yeah I, i can't answer that question it makes no sense to me particularly when you talk about the steel industry in particular for example you know we we know we all understand the need for a strong national defense. there's no way you can have a strong national defense, strong national security without without having a robust and sustainable steel industry. so you know your point is well made from your lips to president trump's ears
1: Are, don't they fear one day that we would be using Chinese steel to make our tanks?
2: Well, I can tell you this, I wouldn't want my son inside of a tank on a battlefield that was made with anything but U.S. steel.
1: Well, I totally agree with you. Now, state of, uh, got the State of the Union tonight. What do we hope to hear for the steel industry and for Nucor in particular?
2: Uh, we'd like to hear some message on, on on trade relief, trade actions, to deal with this illegally traded product uh, that com- continues to flow into our country. That's something we'd like to see. We'd also like to see some action on an infrastructure bill. And we're all seeing a, a robust recovery in the economy. That cannot be sustained without having a strong, uh, modern, 21st century infrastructure system. And we don't have that today. We need it desperately to maintain the momentum in the economy.
1: Do we have enough uh, people and steel mills left after what these trade partners have done that we could actually meet that demand if if the president goes forward with it?
2: Absolutely. No doubt about that. Uh, Let me just mention to you that we have several of our competitors that have blast furnaces about three per last furnaces in the United States that are currently shut down. If you were to start those up, bring them up, they would create an enormous number of jobs in our industry and supply about 10 million tons into our industry, more than what we would need to uh, to deal with the demand that we expect to see in 2018 and beyond.
1: John, how many people are you putting to work right now in the, in the addition of these new factories?
2: Uh, yes, we're we're installing several new factories. We have... Two new galvanizing lines going in, one in Mexico, one in our facility in Gallatin, and we're building a new uh, webar mill in just east of Kansas City in a little town called Sedalia. We're excited about those, and we believe that these are very strategic moves, giving the uh, impact that they'll have on our earnings as a result of improved logistics in all of these products.
1: Now, we are used to companies like Procter & Gamble and 3M having a consistent dividend practice, uh, but I think you should tell people about Nucor because a lot of people think steel company means they can't even keep their dividends maintained.
2: Well, we have a very effective and balanced uh, capital allocation strategy. And just to mention dividends in particular, if you look at uh, in the 10-year period ending in 2017, we returned about 54 billion dollars to our shareholders in dividends and in share repurchases and one more point that I would make that we're very proud of Nucor is one of only 32 public companies that have increased their dividend every year for 45 consecutive years we're very proud of our ability to invest in our company and still return cash to our shareholders.
1: All right, one last question, John. Uh, you mentioned energy at the top. We are seeing a boom in the Permian. We, need, uh, we are so under Is this the kind of business that, as they put up pipelines, they go to Nucor?
2: Uh, absolutely. Uh, when you look at energy in general, and back in 2014, Nucor as a company, we were supplying about 1.6 to 1.8 million tons of steel, both in sheet products, and in a seamless, in, in billets going into seamless pipe. We anticipate in 2018 that number to be somewhere around 1.8 to 2 million tons. So after the collapse in 2015, we're back to the near high levels of 2014.
1: Well, to me, it sounds like to listen to Nucor and John Furrier, American manufacturing is back and it is a renaissance.
2: Well, we're excited about the opportunity to fulfill it. We've invested $8 billion in the last nine years, growing our earnings potential. And I can tell you, Jim, that our team is ready and eager to unleash that earnings potential in, in 2018.
1: Well, congratulations. you got one of the great growth cyclicals that is still very undervalued. That's John Ferriola, chairman CEO of Nucor, with one of the greatest quarters I have seen this year. I want you to stay with that stock and stay with Kramer. Jumping up and down about how great this Keurig Dr Pepper merger is. Why do I mean it when I say uh, they don't seem to like it at all? Look, when these two companies combine, you get a hundred and three dollars and seventy-five cent dividend. A $16 stub amounting to a 13% stake in a new entity. Put it all together, and you'll have a company with $1.27 earnings power and a $0.60 cent dividend on top of that. With those numbers, curing Dr. Pepper, the new company, will immediately become the cheapest growth name in the consumer packaged goods space. In the entire space! So why is this new company, which will be majority owned by J.B. Holdings, that's a German private equity firm, selling such a ridiculously low valuation, even after today's $1.93 run to legacy Dr. Pepper or DPS? All right, there are a couple of reasons. First, the analysts seemed pretty stunned and, yeah, pretty darn negative when they evaluated the deal on the fly yesterday. And you could cut their skepticism with a meat axe. They saw no real revenue synergies between a company that sells a machine to make hot drinks in the morning and a company that sells cold drinks meant for the afternoon and evening. That vision of everyday part covered, propounded by they propounded by management several times on the call, it just didn't inspire any confidence whatsoever. The analysts just aren't buying it. Second, there's no hiding it. In the end, Dr. Pepper will be going up against a renewed Coca-Cola. and a fantastic PepsiCo. Teaming up with a coffee maker doesn't do much to change the equation. Third, the carbonated category, ah, it's unknown for its growth. Although Dr. Pepper's brand's away from Swep's Canada Dry, Dr. Pepper 7-Up. Namely, this stuff, which is a household favorite at our place by the Enhanced Water Business and Snapple. Well, they've got excellent prospects. To be honest, the real question is, why the heck, do we, after all that, do I like the deal? Two words, Bob and Gamgord. Dan the CEO of Curie, will be taking over the combined enterprise. And he is a miracle man in what many people believe is a dying industry, the consumer packaged goods business. Dan a finance guy with a knack for creating and nourishing brands. Very hard to find two in one person. And that's for both old and new brands. He spent 10 years at the privately held Mars, where many credit him with turning that discombobulated family business into something that actually looked like a high-functioning consumer packaged goods company. After clashing with the president of Mars, he moved over to Pinnacle Foods. That's an also-ran Flotsam and Jetsam company that was owned by Blackstone. Pinnacle, add on a bunch of uh, old-time pantry brands, like Birdseye, Flastic, Duncan Hines. When Pinnacle came public at 20 bucks in March of 2013, most people ignored it. Too boring, private equity, just trying to dump it on the market. I backed it, though. I backed it because I was aware of what Gamgoard had done at Mars. Sure enough, the stock started catching fire out of nowhere. It more than doubled after the next three years. Much better than the stock market. Then it came over to Keurig after J.B. Holdings took the coffee maker company private. I couldn't believe it when he made that move because Keurig, you know, the coffee company, coffee maker, that business was in shambles. It had the most unfocused growth strategy. I can't even articulate, not that it was really a growth strategy, It was just a stupid strategy. Fast forward to right now, though, and with the first public look we got that the company, Gamgort, seems to have performed another miracle, turning Keurig into a focused, growing, and profitable business in just two years' time. Even better, it's got a fixed-up balance sheet ready for duty, duty that is to acquire at will. This combined company will be Gamgort's vehicle for acquisitions. He's done 11 major mergers in his time, and that's a 30-year career. And his track record is incredible. Now, I have to admit, I was suspicious of the reason. Keurig has an excellent e-commerce channel besides regular distribution. Dr. Pepper's fantastic convenience store and supermarket distribution. So what, though? But that's thinking too small. With the Keurig-Dr. Pepper deal, you're getting a public way to play Gamgort's management at about 12 times earnings. I think it's a steal if you're willing to be patient enough to let the man work his magic. Hey, they all laughed when Pinnacle came public, okay? This one's better than that was. If Gamgort weren't involved candidly, I wouldn't be interested at all. But he is, so I want everything to do with it. Yep, he's that good, and he'll use this new company to create the same kind of vehicle and value he did at Pinnacle. Let others run away. I want to run toward Keurig, Dr. Pepper, just like last time. Once more into the consumer packaged goods breach for this fabulous manager. Let's go to Bob in Florida. Bob! Hey, Jim. I last
0: spoke to you when Nokia acquired Alcatel-Lucent. And as a former AL shareholder, I thought we got shortchanged then, and now I'm wondering if it's just more of the same. When you listen to their press releases, you would think Nokia will be the next Microsoft or Cisco, supposedly a leader in the forthcoming 5G networks and other technologies. But just like AL, promising new products, when do they bring the revenue in? Well, the problem is, Bob,
1: it's the competition. The competition in that area is so, so stiff and so good that Nokia has become a has-been. And it's a shame, but it's true. Let's go to Robert in Georgia, please. Robert. Yes, Jim Bouya, first-time caller, longtime viewer. Excellent. Uh, my question is Kroger. I've been a longtime holder of the stock. It's been a great stock for me. Of course, last year the gorilla came in the room and it dropped down 1969 uh, value. And currently, it's going to Alibaba. One week. This week, it's Casey. Uh, Don't know where it's going, and they don't know exactly where we're going with this, and that's my question Well, Kroger got got slammed one-two punch last year, bad quarter, and then Whole Foods gets bought by Amazon. Stock goes all the way down to low 20s. Then it comes back. Why? Because people forget about Amazon, and the business is pretty good. But at these prices, I'm kind of neutral on it. At 25, 26, I want to be in. 32, 33, I want to sell. It's in no man's land, Robert. No man's land. Let's go to Sandy in Texas, please. Sandy. Hello and bull Jim. How are you today? I am good, Sandy. How are you? More fired up.
2: I am. I'm doing great. Jim, in April two thousand sixteen you did a company spotlight on Newell Rubbermaid and I subsequently bought some of the stock. Recently Newell has been implementing changes in its operating set strategy excuse right. me and as a result the stock has fallen in price to around twenty five fifty a share. But it's still paying a three point six one percent dividend, which is great. But now I don't know whether to buy more, sell some or all of my holdings or just hold it. Send I got what to tell sure you, we
1: managed to cut and run for a travel trust. Plus.com. I said, these guys are just not getting it together. That was in the 50s and then in the 40s. Uh, in the 20s, well, they didn't get it together. They've missed and they've missed and they've missed. I honestly would rather catch the stock at 30 on the way back than I would tell you to own it here. It's too low to sell, but holy cow, is it poorly run. What can I say? Look, the t- this is the opposite, this story here. The type of Keurig and Dr. Pepper and some analysts scratching their head, I think the deal makes sense because of the man who was running the company, Bob Gamgore. Okay, much more man money head, including my exclusive with an under-the-radar housing play Merger. that could be worth eyeing. I'll reveal the name just ahead then you should be looking for a buying opportunity in the banking stocks. I've got one, Valley Nat. Let's see if we should consider that one. And all your calls, rapid fire, in tonight's edition of The Lightning Round, I like Dr. Pepper merging with Curator. <laughs> Merger. <laughs> Stick me. All right, after brutal shellacking like the one we just experienced, I like to look for stocks that manage to hold up a lot better than the averages. That's where the value can be. Take Trex Company, and the symbol is T-R-E-X. It's the world's largest manufacturer of wood alternative decking and railing products. Their composite decking looks just like wood, requires far less maintenance. Trust me, I'm converting to Trex. In short, Trex is a play on housing, which remains strong. They also have a commercial product business, for example. When I head to Minneapolis this Friday to do the show, oh, and watch, of course, my beloved Eagles, U.S. Bank Stadium has 49,000 linear feet Of Trex products, from cable railings to frosted glass drink rails. Now, this stock was one of the best performers of 2017, up nearly 70% for the year. However, $112 has come down eight bucks from its all-time highs earlier this month. In today's bloodbath, though, look, it initially got hammered. It was down down to 110 but it quickly rebounded, ending the day off off only $0.66. So can this thing resume its long-term journey? Let's check in with Jim Klein, who's the president and CEO of Trex, learn more about his company and its prospects, and I think this is a very exciting story. Mr. Klein, welcome to Mad Money. Have a seat, Jim. Thank you. Thank you. you. Right, I never know where to start with Trex because my kids love Trex because it's recycled material. Uh, I like Trex because I'm sick and tired of having to do every year, do the Thompson, and do the varnish. My wife likes it because she says it finally looks just like wood. Now, it's looked like wood for a long time, but you're the first time on the show. Give us some of the, the story about why Trex is just taking share left and right. Well, the share comes in two ways.
0: Number one, back in 2010, we introduced the second generation of wood plastic composite, and we satisfied the needs of the consumer. No uh, No fade very little scratch, and uh, a color that palette that the consumers really appreciate. We put that together with a 25-year warranty and the fact that we're a 95-recycled deck material gets people excited, and that's what drives the consumers to us. The consumers okay. like the recycled content. All right,
1: let's first go over this 95% recycled. I understand you actually have contests around the country for kids teaching them the value of recycling by uh, working with tracks. Absolutely, recycling
0: is part of the core of TRACKS. It was first started in, in the late 1980s by one of our founders, and we run contests throughout the year to encourage uh, younger people to involve themselves in recycling material. Uh, all of our deck boards are made with recycled content, not part of them, all of them are.
1: Now, uh, talk about you versus wood. Where, what percentage, the conversion, because frankly, wood is expensive, And in the storms that we've been experiencing, wood represents very little value. Uh,
0: It can. And, in fact, wood deteriorates, obviously, much more quickly than Trex. Trex has a 25-year warranty on it. Typical pressure-treated deck will last maybe 12, 13 years. Requires a lot of maintenance.
1: Now, when I look at uh, where we're going this weekend, this is the U.S. Bank Stadium. You made an acquisition, and it looks like that this acquisition already is paying off. Talk about the railing business, because that's got to be in a a corporate construction market, industrial. That's got to be great business right now.
0: Well, we saw a great opportunity. We looked for an acquisition in this space for about two years before we found SC Company. SC Company does about 90% of all the commercial stadiums across North America. They actually have also assisted us in putting together railing products that we're going to be introducing into the uh, residential market.
1: And that's actually accelerated your growth rate, this acquisition.
0: Uh, Absolutely has. Uh, Projects that would normally take about a year or so to develop a product are being done in less than six months.
1: Now, um, I'm trying to understand the SC Pro riser, the uplift stage. These are very different from traditional treks. Uh, how How do they fit in the mix?
0: Well, basically, these products are used also in stadiums. For example, the NCAA tournaments. When you see all those people that are sitting on the, the floor level yeah. with risers, that's our
1: product. Oh, okay. I didn't really understand that. Now, how lever are you th- to, to housing, and how much are you lever to redo? And, uh, and where do people go to get your stuff if they're doing redo?
0: Well, we're primarily repair and remodeling. About okay. 95% repair and remodeling, 5% new construction. Uh, we're carried at both Home Depot and Lowe's On Shelf, okay. as well as uh, a vast majority of the
1: professional lumber yards. Now, isn't lumber threatened by your product? It's particularly, lumber went up big because of, of talk about NAFTA problems. I mean, the more it goes up, the more share you have to be
0: taking. Absolutely, uh, but the, the share that wood has today is about 83% of the lineal feet that are sold versus 17% for wood alternative. For every one point that we can move from wood, that's worth about $50 million of sales
1: to us. Wow, it's big. Now, so how a huge about, opportunity. Now, there. your tax rate was uh, 34%. Does that come down? Uh,
0: absolutely. Based on the uh, latest uh, calculations we've done on the taxes, we'll save between 10 and 11% uh, on taxes. So uh, about 35%, take 10 and 11% off that, and that's where we think we're going to be for two thousand.
1: We saw housing uh, case-shiller numbers were up uh, 6%. Everyone obviously feels great about their house because the value is going up. What is your feel about the optimism in the country in housing? And are there enough, uh, are there enough houses in inventory, or are we just going to keep going toward treks because we have to keep redoing the ones we already have?
0: Well, fortunately, there's, there's a lot of wooden decks uh, in, in North America. That's what we're focused on. So as people buy a house their first renovation product project many times is
1: replacing that deck. Right, now, and I, one last question. We've had winter storms in places we've never had winter storms, where the wood has probably been good for ages. Is, that, is this going to be a great spring selling season for you? Literally because of the areas that never really have had problems that now are suddenly, you, know, you know, the woods cracking and people aren't even used to it, don't even know what to do. A- absolutely,
0: and, and a wood deck is a typical deck for the people the first time. Once they've had a wooden deck, they typically don't install a wooden deck on top of it. Well, you and me both.
1: Okay, that's Jim Klein, president and CEO of Trax. I'm doing two sides of our pools with Trax because I'm sick of wood, too. Mad Money's back after the break. It is time. with Charlie in New York. Charlie! Hi, ben. Love the show. Thank you. Uh, I'm retired and recently began to manage myself too much about air raid. I bought um, Duke Energy, DUK. And Duke's fine. I prefer Dominion and I prefer Con Ed and I also prefer a market electric power. Jerry in Florida, Jerry! Yes, this a Jerry from the state of Florida. And I'd like your opinion on AT and T. The widow's and orphan. That fund. stock is a, oh yeah, I like it. Capital's going to increase at the time Werner deal. got Michael in Texas, Michael.
2: Good evening, uh, brother Jim, and big booyah to you from Houston. Uh, my question to you is: XPO Logistics. XPO right, Logistics. I keep waiting for what the stock face? to go
1: back to ninety, so we can get back in fraction alerts. What a horse that is, Chris
2: in New York, Chris. Hey, Booyah, Jimbo, how are you? I'm great, how about you? I'm excellent, I'm excellent Hey, quick question for you CLNS, Colony North Star, Seth Klarman's largest position It's
1: trading at uh, about 80% Tom Barrack, I like Tom Tom Barrack I'm surprised to see the stock down so much We have to do work, we have to do work Because Tom has always made us money Let's go to Bob in New York uh, Bob
2: Jim, Booyah Booyah. How the hell are you?
1: I'm pretty good. How are you?
2: I'm doing all right. Coming down with the flu, I think, but hopefully I'll pass oh, it. Oh, you know?
1: man. We got someone named Yo. Tammy on our office. Tammy Flew. What's up? Uh, I don't know. Well, I don't know. Maybe so we talk about stocks alarm. for a sec. Huh? I'm calling about alarm. Oh, no. No, I'm not. You know, to me, I, I got too many home systems coming in. I don't want to touch them. But if they feel differently, they should come on the show. End that. Ladies good. I. Lightning Round.
2: The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade.
1: Given today's brutal decline, what stocks are safe for you to think about circling back to? How about the financials? We know the banks do better when interest rates are on the rise. They make more money off the difference between what they pay you for deposits and what they charge you for loans, which means you can feel confident about buying these stocks into weakness, so long as you do it gradually. That's why tonight I want to introduce you to some bank that I've not talked about, Valley National, VLY. It's a regional bank with 230 branches in New New York and New Jersey, with some terrific new Florida exposure that you may not know about. Company reported a solid quarter last week, delivering in-line earnings higher than expected revenues. So could this region be worth owning now that everything's pulling back? Let's take a closer look with Ira Robbins. He's the new CEO of Valley National Bank Corp. Learn more about the new direction the company's taking and what it means for shareholders. Mr. Robbins, welcome to Mad Money. Good to see you, sir. Thank Have you. Have a seat. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. All right. So this is not the Valley National that many of us know, particularly those of us who are in New Jersey. The sign's the same but the strategy
3: is different, so why don't you tell us? Signs are the same for now. That's gonna change Ooh, really? as well. Oh, really? That's gonna change Whatever. too, okay. So in the last 18 months, we've turned over the entire management team at Valley National Bank. We're focused now on the growth of the organization, enhancing and improving the earnings profile of Valley National Bank, as well as changing the culture of Valley National Bank to be more appropriate with what's changing in the industry today. It's now, an exciting opportunity for us.
1: My knowledge of Valley National, it's kind of a sleepy bag, never hurt anybody. Uh, that sometimes that's an okay stop, but it never really gave us the growth. What is the growth strategy, and how do we be sure you're not taking on too much risk in the growth strategy?
3: That's an excellent point. You know, Value's been around for 91 years. He's never had a losing quarter in 91 years. Pretty incredible. To a certain investor base, that's great. But as we look to move Valley National Bank to a focus on a different investor base, the emphasis has to be on growth, has to be on improving the overall financial performance of the organization and delivering real shareholder returns to the, uh, to the uh, shareholders. Right Now, we're – uh, a little bit sidetracked in the 2000s, uh, particularly near
1: the end of the decade, where we saw banks move to Florida. And they moved to Florida and get aggressive and get all excited and doing a lot of mortgages that turned out not to be good ones. Valley National's moving down, you got new acquisitions. Mm-hmm. How do we know that Valley National's not going down the path
3: of the banks that didn't do it right? Well, maybe. let me start back with maybe why Valley National went down to Florida. Sure. And, and that's the reason, because we didn't want to do it the wrong way up here in New, new Jersey and okay. New York marketplace. So there's a lot of mutual conversions that took place in the New York, New Jersey marketplace and a lot of capital to to this market. Typically what happens is you would have an increase in interest rate risk profile of these types of organizations, credit spreads that that deteriorate as well. And for Valley, we said this isn't an environment that we really want to play in. So we went down to Florida and said, where can we provide an opportunity to grow in a marketplace that has a real need for a bank like Valley National Bank? If you look at the 20 to $70 billion banks, there isn't one today in that state of Florida. There really isn't a bank to there that can provide the services that a value National Bank can offer. So when we go there, we try to obtain and apply the same credit model that we've had up here that's been successful for 91 years in New York and New Jersey and apply it down, in the Florida market. At the same
1: time, uh, the deposit base is is obviously better because your net interest margin is one of the best of of the banks I follow.
3: That has to be some of these decisions you're making. Uh, The net interest margin has to go up for Valley National Bank, and we're gonna do it through enhanced earnings, through growth, not through expanding the overall risk profile of the organization. For us to go down to Florida, the deposit bators are much less than what they are here in New York and New Jersey. It's very competitive here, right? There's just too many banks. A lot of that goes back to the capital, Jim. When the mutuals converted, Capital went here, right. loan growth had to go here, deposits had to go here, and it just became real challenging to operate a bank in this environment.
1: Now, there are a couple things going for the banks that we like. One, the Fed raising rates, and two, uh, uh, tre- the tax reform
3: seems to be good. What do uh, rate increases mean for your bank, and what does tax reform mean? I think the rate increases for us, value doesn't take a position when it comes to interest rate risk. We try not to be too asset sensitive and too liability sensitive. The same thing with our credit profile. We want to perform in any different economic, in any different interest rate environment. So we think the asset sensitivity that we talked about on the earnings call will go up a little bit, a few basis points based on the rate increases. It's going to be a positive for us, but the real growth story at Valley is going to be the enhanced loan growth, the improved efficiency within the organization, and the changing culture at Valley. And that's what's going to really drive the earnings for us. Uh,
1: as a New Jersey resident, I'm horrified by what's changing the tax code. Now, look, I've done well in this country. I'm happy to pay, but many people who live in the New Jersey area are kind of really betwixt and between. Many people want to move to Florida. Yeah, are you actually
3: seeing that kind of migration? Yeah, I think it's great for us. You know, there's already name recognition, as you mentioned, down right. in Florida, just because people have migrated from New York, New Jersey market, down to Florida. So we already have that name recognition there. Now we have the growth that comes here. And I share your concern about what's happening in New Jersey. You know how how business friendly is this state gonna end up being, and what are the ancillary impacts when it comes what to what do you think? Growth? I mean, uh, you know, new governor, but at the same time, the tax base is not great here. Now, the tax base is is a, is of a concern. Right. Some of the policies that are being suggested right now, you know, how how business friendly is that, and, and what happens as we ripple through the economy as a result of that. you know, I think for us, having 30% of our franchise in Florida creates an opportunity for us to outperform a lot of our Northeast peers. Will you
1: be looking at the bank being one day, uh, say 50% in the South?
3: Yeah, I think we are in the perfect metro markets in to Florida okay. today. We have a great opportunity to have organic growth in that market. And- a large percentage of our growth is going to be proportionally based down in that Florida space. So it is going to go to a higher percentage. Well,
1: I'm so glad there. you have a regional other than PNC Financial that I can count on. PNC being one of the biggest banks in the world. There are almost no regionals left. That's it. And uh, none in this area that I find are investable. I think Valley National is. Thank you for
3: coming on the show. I appreciate it. Thank you.
1: All right. That's Ira Robbins, the president and CEO of Valley National Bank Corp. The bank's woken up, but not in a risk, a dangerous way, in a nice growth projected way. Stick with Craven. I know you're impatient. I mean, the market's been straight up, finally get two days down. All I am canceling is do it slow. Take your time. Do it right if you want to buy. I am certainly not against buying. I like to say there's always a bull market somewhere. I promise I find it just for you right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Kramer, and I will see you tomorrow.
2: I'm
0: Kelly Evans, host of CNBC's The Exchange, which is now a podcast. Subscribe today. It's your one-stop shop for the day's top business stories. Plus, listen in for lots of original reporting, in-depth conversation, and some of the best of CNBC's award-winning investigative work. Subscribe to The Exchange for free, and you can always catch The Exchange live weekdays at 1 p.m. Eastern only on CNBC. See you then.